0: You're listening to a sermon from Metro North Church in Goose Creek, South Carolina. If you'd like to connect with us, then visit us online at metronorthchurch.com. We were talking this morning uh, with our worship team about how much we want our service to be perfect because God's perfect, but I was telling the team, but why does he use us? We're like these cracked mugs you can pour in us and it just comes out the cracks. If you're a visitor, you will fit here if you're cracked because we need God we need God to actually the only the only one who's perfect. We need God to actually save us. We're worse than cracked. We're, we're, we're. salvation this the 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 whole focus of Christmas is the fact that we need a savior. We're calling this Godsend. Most of you would say that's a Godsend if you get something in the mail that's either a really cool message or money. <laughs> it's a Godsend. That's that's how it would usually work when I was growing up. John 17, a prayer that we're going to be looking at the next four weeks, will use this word sent six times. God sent Jesus into the world to send us into the world with his story of grace and life. Now this prayer, some of you don't know about this prayer. You've heard the Lord's Prayer, that's when he was teaching his disciples. John 17 is the other Lord's Prayer, and I want to tell you where this prayer happened. In John chapter 13, Jesus shared the Passover meal with his best friends. And it says that it was nighttime, and they got up in John chapter 13, and then in John 14, Jesus says to his friends, Rise, let's go, and they were heading to a garden. This was the night before he would go to the cross. Well, in John 17, he does this prayer that we're going to be reading today. And then in John 18, get this, it says, when he had said the words of his prayer, he went across the Kidron brook. Take a look at this image. The Kidron brook. What was that? The Midrash, which is the commentary the Jews gave to the Torah. Do we have the brook? We do not have the brook. Picture, if you will, the temple in Jerusalem, and there's a small brook that goes from Jerusalem out across Jesus gets to the edge of the brook and the Midrash, these ancient writings tell us this, the blood from the sacrifices went down the altar, through a drain into the Kidron brook. Jesus is with his friends. It's nighttime. He walks out. He stops at the edge of a brook. If you were there, you would have smelled blood. If you were there, It very well was running red. Would you please now stand as we enter into this prayer that our Lord gives. John chapter 17. We're going to only look at the first five verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This prayer has been called the deepest, deepest words from the heart of our Savior. Before I pray, would you pray right now? Just pray that God would speak to you. Pray that God would speak specifically to you through this prayer. Father, I'm sure many people here are standing at a difficult part of life. Christmas is often a time where people despair because they think of people that they've lost. They think of things in their life that are not resolved. But Lord, none of us was like your son who stood at the Kidron Brook and stopped And lifted up his eyes and spoke to you. None of us had the intensity and the concentration. Father, would you help us to understand this prayer? Would you answer the prayer of my brothers and sisters? Would you answer their specific prayer that this prayer from your dear son would speak to them today and change them? Send your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. We simply just walk right through the prayer. Jesus, the God-sent Son, I like how New Testament scholar Gerald Bouchard says it. The main focus of this prayer is the mission of Jesus as God's specially sent agent of eternal life. The title, if you want to follow along today in your message notes, is simply God-sent life. There's going to be three sections to the beginning of this prayer. Section one, we're going to talk about glorification. Section two, Jesus loves his friends enough because they're all sitting there and they were hearing him pray. In In his prayer, he's going to actually give explanation about eternal life to his friends. And lastly, we're going to see that he so much hungers to experience affiliation, a close relationship renewed with his father. Many times in a sermon you sit there and it's like a big table, that's your heart, and I give you all this information and it's like pouring a pitcher of water on a table and it just goes right over the edges and nothing gets into your life. What if today you took each of these sections and thought of your heart as dry, brittle, so thirsty? And as I go through these steps in the prayer, glorification, explanation, affiliation, what if your heart... As Jesus is wringing out his heart to the Father, what if your heart soaks this in? What if you actually believe what you hear today in this prayer? Are you ready? We are eavesdropping on the Son of God speaking to God the Father. No, we're eavesdropping on God the Son speaking to God the Father. And number one, the God-sent Son asks him for Glorification. Verse 1 When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Did you notice that as Jesus is stopping by the brook, he makes a gesture? Jesus makes a gesture. He takes his eyes and he looks to heaven. Why do we often in prayer have gestures? Why does he lift his eyes to heaven? Well, it's a gesture of intense attention. We have two Westie dogs. I'm going to take a look at, and maybe you have an animal that doesn't give you attention. When our Westie dog is not giving us attention, the ears are down. But I can just simply look at our dogs and say, treat And the ears go from down to a gesture. Our little dog, Elle, the girl dog, she tilts her head, and the ears just go up. I was coming to church today, and it was just convicting. My phone popped up data. My phone now tells me how much attention I give it. It said, your average this week was one hour and 47 minutes. What gets your attention during the week? Maybe it's going to be the Christmas tree lights. Maybe it's the football games that will be played. What do your eyes lift to? Or what do your eyes often go down to, the glowing glory of our screens? I often lift my eyes to my goals. I usually come in on Monday, and I'm just so excited about what the Lord's doing in our church. And this week I was really convicted, and I wanted to repent. So I said to Carter and to John and to Arlene, let's not jump in and just look at all the great things in the church. Let's lift our hearts to the Lord. And it was a sweet time of prayer, wasn't it, John? And then I came back in on Tuesday, and we prayed again together. I wonder where your eyes go to during your week Jesus lifts his eyes. When, when were you like Jesus with this intense concentration? When was the last time? Or when was there such a time in your life that you really had an intense, intimate prayer to God? I remember mine. They both had to do with life and the glory of life. I remember my two-year-old brother when I was in high school took my mother's antidepressive medicines, unbeknownst to all of us, and he took them all. He chewed them up. He swallowed them. He was rushed to the ER. He was shocked multiple times. And I remember being in the ICU saying to God, God, save my brother. I remember going home that night, getting on my bed, like in my bed, on my knees, just weeping. My desires were so raw, and they were exposed, and I just said, Heavenly Father, would you save my brother? I remember the second time I had one of these prayers. I was a nurse. I knew how to save life. I was an ER nurse. But as my wife was giving birth to Paige, that connection of life between a mother and and her child, that little cord broke. And my wife started to hemorrhage. I thought, well, fix this. She lost consciousness. And as I sat there as a husband, not an ER nurse, I got more scared than ever in my life. And the first thing I did is, God, save my life. Save my wife. They took her blood pressure, and it was like 60, and they couldn't get a number. She was unconscious. And I just kept saying, God, save my wife. When's the last time you had this raw Connection with God, where you said, "God, bring your glory now, bring life." I'm thankful to say that my wife's right here, Paige is right here. She's going to get married soon, and my brother is alive. Jesus gestures. He fixes his attention on his Father. Father, he'll say it six times in this prayer. It's the intimate address of a child to a parent. And for some of you that don't know much about Christianity, listen closely. At the center of the universe is a relationship. It is out of and for that relationship that you were created and Jesus was sent to redeem. An intense request, Jesus actually commands His Father. It's a command in Greek. Father, glorify your son. Who does Jesus think he is? Commanding the Father to glorify him? Who is this? This is the God who became man. Glorify me. Glorification. What is that? There's three ingredients to glorification. Number one, luminous light. Look at this image. You ever see a door when it's really dark and there's light behind it? You kind of wonder, what's going on behind that door? That's glory. That's why we look at our glowing screens. That's why we look at Netflix. That's why we look at things. We are made to behold glory. Glory, the first ingredient, luminous, light. The second ingredient is not just light, but it is weight. There's something behind that door that is significant, it's valuable. I got to see it, it has size. Glory was used of kings if they had two things. They had to have a lot of gold, weight, and they had to have a lot of people that they ruled. Father, give me glory. Yeah, I'm talking about light, but I'm also talking about weight, significance, worth. The third part of glory in the scripture is the concept of essence. It's not just light, but it's the light that caused the light. It is not just weight, but it's why is it so weighty? What is the essence? It's looking at a flower and saying, beauty. But it's the beauty that caused the beauty. The beauty under the beauty. Father, I am commanding you. I am requesting you. We have a relationship. Glorify your son. We get an example of Jesus sort of teasing with his glory because that's all he could do and that's all people could take. Remember that Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John, they're sleeping, Luke says, and all of a sudden they look and he was as white as light and Peter just starts to babble. He wants to build tents. Paul will see this glory when Jesus isn't teasing about it. Paul is walking on a road, and he sees the glory of Jesus, and for three days, the light, the weight, the essence of the glory of God, he can't even see for three days. Thank God we don't actually get a vision of his glory, or we'd melt. Father, glorify me. Glorify your son. And he says, it's time If we were watching a movie, it's the part of the movie where the soundtrack becomes intense. You know how the movies do that? A movie without a soundtrack is worthless, but when the climax is coming, when the moment of moments happens, there's a shift, there's intensity, there's suspense. Do you remember a moment in your life that changed everything? I'm getting really excited about Paige and Micah's wedding. Not so much for me, but actually for Paige and Micah. Because when they say their vows, they're going to go from unmarried to married. There is a moment that will change everything. Jesus says, Father, the hour is here. The moment has arrived. We wait and we wait and we wait. And finally, the hour arrives in our life and everything changes and nothing will be the same. Jesus says, Father... The moment that this dying cosmos has been waiting for has come. Hour. It's code work in the book of John for the cross work of Christ. Now listen closely to this. The key to unlocking the meaning of glory is this word hour. Look at John 12, a couple of chapters before. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for what? the Son of Man, to be glorified. Oh, the hour is connected to glory. And then in verse 27 to 33, I'll summarize it by giving you these words. It says, but for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Now watch the connection. Glorify your name, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. Read this with me. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Glory is connected to our, which is connected to death. Glorify. Father, it's time. Expose us. Expose the worth of us. Reveal, unwrap, unveil the value and worth. It's time to display the redemptive results of you sending me to sinners. Now, some of you are thinking, wait just a minute, glory, the cross is about shame. I love what Martin Luther says. Listen to this quote. It is not sufficient for anyone and it does him no good to recognize God in his glory and majesty unless he recognizes him in the humility and shame of the cross. Let me illustrate glory's connection to death. I love the end of the year because people remember all the greatest stories. The greatest story in my mind from last year was the story of this Thai soccer team. There's a picture of it here. Twelve boys. Interesting. Twelve boys. Jesus had twelve disciples. Twelve boys decide with their coach to park their bicycles and hike a mile into some dark caves. Some of you remember this story from last year. But a monsoon hit, much worse than the little rainstorm we're getting today. Those poor boys would be trapped for weeks, a mile down in a dark, cold cave. How would they get out? Glory! But it's connected to death. Take a look here at this image an image of Saman Kunan. Saman Kunan, glorious. He was a skilled Navy SEAL diver. Glorious man, he was a triathlete. So his job was to take oxygen bottles, life, swim them down under and just put them there for these boys. But he swam that day and he would deliver those tanks to save those boys. But on his way back, his tank would run out of oxygen. Of course it would. Those boys in that coach needed all they could have. Of course his would. And when they found him, he was unconscious and he died. Glory! Saman Kunan. What was the meaning of Christ's mission? It was not Christmas. Father, my urging, surging desire is to consent to be sent to the cross. Of course I'll arrive as a baby on Christmas, but that's not the glory. For Suman Kunan, he put his scuba gear on, of course. But that was not his ultimate goal. The rescue mission was for those boys and for that coach. Jesus came to save certain people stuck in their deadly situation. Why does Jesus want to experience glorification? So that the Son may glorify the essence of the Father. The Father loves to give death-deserving sinners life. I love what G. Campbell Morgan says about this glory. He says, The deepest passion of the heart of Jesus was not saving men. That's probably a shock to a lot of us here that think it's all about us. Let me say that again. The deepest passion of the heart of Jesus was not about saving men, but the glory of God and then the saving of men because that's for the glory of God. Does that make sense? Your hearts are dry. You're at your own Kidron Brook. I don't know if you soaked in any of that, but let's move now to explanation. Jesus is talking to his Father. He's got listeners. They're all there saying, Jesus, we're supposed to be going to the garden. You're halting us here. And they listen to Jesus say this, an explanation of eternal life. Verse 2. Since you've given him authority over all flesh, Father, to give eternal life to all you have given him. Give. Oh, it's the center of Christmas, but it's the center of this prayer. Jesus will say the word give 17 times. Basically one time for every verse, gives, gives eternal life. What does the Father give to His Son? Spiritually dead sinners, the Father chose to give eternal life. Now John 6 will make it plain that Jesus gives eternal life to all those and only those whom the Father has given to Jesus as part of God's plan of undeserved grace. Jesus has the authority over all, but particular affection for some. Wait, you're telling me that the Father has saving selectivity? That's what it says here. You say, that's not fair. Fair? Fair would be for the Father to save none because all of us fall short of the glory of God all of us are undeserving, defiant enemies of God, and for the father to say that his son, we're going on a rescue mission. Is it fair for the father to have saving selectivity? Absolutely not. No one in this room, no one deserves to be saved. The father gave the son the authority to give life. Life. God loves to give life. The BBC radio has a, a kind of a nerdy show. Those of you that love numbers have probably heard of it. It's a show called More or Less. They look at how numbers impact our lives. A 10-year-old named Felix was thinking about life, and he, went, he called into the show, and he says, could you all tell me how many animals are born every day? I love 10-year-olds. The show says there's 7.7 million known species of animal. How are we going to do this? But the show gave it a shot. They talked to leading experts and take a look at this image. They said, Felix, we found out how many rabbits are born, but we, we have to limit it just to the UK. This is a big number. Tell someone next to you how many rabbits you think are born in a day in the UK. Just make a guess with somebody next to you. How many rabbits are born? Eric, did you tell somebody? Everybody's going to tell somebody. David? Okay, Felix was given this answer. In the UK, 1,900,000 rabbits are born in a day. Anybody get that right? Oh, way to go. Felix was then told, this is how many bees are born in the UK in a day. 370 million They said, let's go to the world, though, for chickens. How many chickens are born? If you love to go to Chick-fil-A, let's reveal this number, 62 million. And this is the one that blew my mind. I don't like worms, but God does. How many roundworms, they're called nematodes, remember back to your biology class, Did you know that there are 3 million roundworms per square meter on the earth? Which means, big reveal, put the number up there. In a given day, God loves life so much that he creates 600 quintillion roundworms. God loves life. And today, 353,000 humans will be born. Any birthdays today? Tyler, happy birthday. (laughs) Jesus was not sent to simply give life. God does that every moment. He was sent to give eternal life. Explain, Jesus, what is this? He explains in verse 3. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, be careful here. Christians, those of you that know this eternal life lingo, wake up, come to life. Listen, be very careful here. Do not focus so much on the adjective, eternal, that you miss the very word that's being described. Life, the adjective. Eternal. Yes, it's a quantity. Yes, it's a duration of days. Yes, God came to make us eternal, but don't miss the noun life. It's a special word, Zoe. It means life that is not subject to decay or death. It's a quality. And for many of you, you go, yeah, yeah, cool. I'm not going to have to go to that hell place. Eternal life for me is all about location. Eternal life is not primarily locational. It is relational. You remember when you were a kid and you walked into a store and mom, you couldn't find her? That simple relationship was cut and you were cool until you thought, mom? Where in the world is mom? See, your life, even if you've got a beating heart, your life gets real screwed up when a relationship that you were meant to be close to cannot be found. Did you not panic? Jesus came and he explains, I have come to give eternal life. Life with a new quality. Life in the life of God. What is eternal life? Don't miss the adjective, or don't miss the noun for the adjective. Fully alive in God. Aware of this new spiritual reality. New spiritual senses. I know somebody's sitting there going, will you stop? I hate my life right now. I hate my life. It's a dumpster fire. Jesus is praying. They are listening. We are listening in. Why might you be hating your life right now? We all have something we're living for, a bottom line, that which we cannot live without. And if it is not into the life of God, you will be hating that life. Take a look at this image. We have to make sure that the quality that, of the life, the relationship, is over the quantity. The quantity is wonderful, but only when we appreciate the quality. The essence of Christianity is, simp- is not simply quantity, the essence of Christianity is a life of quality. It's knowing God and Christ. Not knowing about, most of you know a lot, you probably know too much about God. That is not eternal life. It is knowing him with total trust, total involvement, rooted into reliant, comprehensive obedience. That would be a good test for most of you. Oh, yeah, I'm totally into the life of God. If he as your king walked up and said, show me a life of comprehensive, perfect obedience, do you have that? Oh, Howard, I man, you talk about prayer? I'm already on a guilt trip. No, Jesus took the guilt trip. He walked to the Kidron Brook and he stopped and he's talking to the Father. You are not here to get a guilt trip, but you're here to be honest. Do you know God and his only Son, Jesus Christ? We are designed to be fully alive inside the intimacy at the center of the cosmos. And if you're not a Christian, I know you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you say that eternal life is knowing? The only true God, wait a minute, that is what it says. Jesus says this is eternal life, that, you, that they know the only true God and Jesus Christ. Jesus is not embarrassed to confront the relativism with revelation that there's only one true story of the world. Eternal life can only be experienced through an exclusive relationship with the only true God and Jesus Christ only place in scripture where Jesus will refer to himself with this twin engine title. It's powerful. Jesus, I'm the only savior. Christ, I am the authoritative king with authority over all flesh. Some of you are still saying, it is a little bit exclusive there, that whole Christian thing about the only true God. How many of you saw this picture? Or maybe you saw it on on viral video. Jet Blue Airplane. But the nose guard, as it came down, came down sideways. Now, relativism says this. There's a lot of different ways that we can live our life. But when the nose guard on a plane comes down the wrong direction, do we have that picture? When the nose guard comes down the wrong direction, everybody started to say things like this. This is dangerous. That plane has experienced a malfunction. See, everybody can get exclusive when we're talking about a plane landing. Now, thankfully, when that plane landed, that nose guard hit and there was a lot of fire, and the plane could have blew up and everybody lived. But nobody argued with the truth that there was only one way the nose guard, the landing gear, should come down on a plane. We are not to do this with God. We are not to say, well, there's many ways to be religious. Not according to Jesus in his prayer, not with his explanation. Now, some of you are saying, how do I know? How do I know if I am in a relationship and have eternal life? How can I check my spiritual pulse? Jesus tells us. This is going to be really important for some of you that have been thinking you are alive and you are not. How do you check your spiritual pulse? John 5.24 says it this way. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come in the judgment, but he's passed from death to life. Glorification. I hope some of your hearts just soaked in how glorious our God is through the death of his son, fully revealed. Explanation, eternal life. Oh, God loves life. You know he loves more? giving eternal life to those who deserve eternal death. And lastly, it's very short, but don't miss it. This concentrated prayer gets confined to this statement we see in verse 4 and 5. It's a statement where the God sent Son asks the Father to restore His affiliation. We don't use that word an awful lot, but it means a real close, formal relationship. I'm affiliated with that group. John 17, verse 4. I glorified you on earth, says Jesus, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's the cross. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, this is amazing in this prayer. God has not yet gone to the cross, but by faith, Jesus anticipates the successful completion of his mission to die for sinners. He speaks in the past tense about his death Before he even dies, he says, I accomplished the work. Oh, I love this about Jesus. Jesus, who do you think you are? Jesus is basically saying, if you think there is a plan that can stop me giving my life for those that don't deserve it, that is the equivalent of trying to stop a cannonball with a cobweb. I am going to that cross. In fact, as I talk to my Father and you overhear me, disciples, I have accomplished this work. That's how sure this is going to be. In fact, the same word will be used on the cross when he's hanging on the cross and he says the same word. It is finished. Oh, this is amazing. He prays Thursday night. I've accomplished the work. And on Friday, John 19, it is finished. So John now, Jesus now gives the Father his second request. His first one was glorify me. Second one is this. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. John chapter 1 begins with this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. With. The word in Greek means toward God, face to face. Jesus is saying, I have come and become disconnected from you in all of the glory that I've had with you. I've entered, I've become a baby. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to finish the work. I'll be disconnected. And now, oh, Father, this is my request. I want to return. Father, we made this plan together to break intimacy with each other, to bring them in for an intimacy that can never be broken. Father, remend what we tore. Remend when on the cross I yelled to you, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm praying now that you remend, that you restore, that you reaffiliate into relationship, you and me. Did the father grant the son this request? Yes. He was glorified. Jesus sits right now, not in that little manger over there, but enthroned enthroned in glory, and he sends us, his church, out to share this message of his glory. Father and son love each other, and we're all filled with their spirit of love. I conclude with a very short quote from our former Surgeon General, because I want, I want this idea of glorification and the explanation of eternal life and this amazing seeing how the affiliation, this relationship, how does that affect us this Christmas? Vivek Murthy, our former Surgeon General, a doctor who just loves the sick, he says this, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw wasn't heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. Loneliness. Disconnect. Our church wants to connect people to the transforming grace of God. Your friends and neighbors, people you're sitting next to in your row, suffer from loneliness. This Advent season, what if you saw yourself as a God-sent church to connect people to the undeserving grace of God? What if you saw yourself as the very means of God glorifying God? Let me say that one more time because it may just like water going off the table. What if we saw ourselves going out to people? Yesterday, I was in my neighborhood. I met four different couples, and I got to know them and entered into spiritual conversation, and I said, you need to come and meet the people of God. Please come. Please get connected. All four couples do not go to church. As you go out this week, are you going to go out and realize, the Lord prayed already for me? What if we went out this week and we actually saw ourselves as God's means of glorifying God? God, glorifying God. Would you pray with me? Father, as we prepare to nourish ourselves for this going out on mission with this table, I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts. Lord, help us to be a praying people, not just to listen in on how your son addressed you, but help us, Lord, to talk to you more, to have more time with you than screen time. Father, we pray that you would bring people to experience the glory of the death of your son, even during this Christmas, because we went out, sent from you. Glorify you through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.